Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Hey guys, I am sitting here with my new friend, Sadiqa, that I actually got to meet in Costa Rica at a John Maxwell event. It was actually a transformation event, which is so ironic because all of you know that the definition of leadership to me is transform people, transform people. And I, I've got to tell you, I cannot wait to introduce Sadiqa. I can't wait for you to hear her bio of what she has accomplished because the minute that I met her, I just met her from a distance. I did, didn't talk to her. Uh, I saw her from a distance and I thought, I've got to be her friend. Something drew me. There was just this huge light around her that I just knew like it was like a spotlight, so to speak, of a light. I don't know if it was um, angels around you, Sadiqa, or what it was, but God kept saying to me, go to her, go to her, be near her. And it was so crazy because we get talking, we're having, I think it was breakfast and then uh, we're getting ready to go out in groups. And all of a sudden you and I get partnered up and of all places we end up getting to do this transformation begins in me course uh, to Walmart executives. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very uh, worldly company, um, but also a company that's, you know, mainly in the United States, which was really funny. And they were just so delightful and so fun. And we ended up, they get, they ask us to stay for the whole day. So I get to spend the whole day with Sadiqa. If luck could have it, normally you only have one group with a partner from the team. And here you are, Sadiqa from Lebanon, and we're become best friends. And I just think it's just so amazing. And I knew I had to interview Sadiqa for this podcast. Wait till you hear her story. There's no story like this. And it's just going to blow your mind and transform your thought process, just like it has mine. And I just want to tell you about Sadiqa. Sadiqa Kebi is a corporate trainer and workshop designer with experience of over 10 years of providing customized training courses to the corporate world. Sadiqa is known for the dynamic, inspirational, and unique storytelling style. When experienced in creating programs, Sadiqa delivers career and growth workshops, which include leadership, coaching, and mentoring, team building, design thinking, presentation skills, storytelling, public speaking, emotional intelligence, business English, entrepreneurship, sales, creative writing, and English skills. In February of 2018, she was selected as a finalist for the John C. Maxwell Stage Time Speakers Awards. Sadiqa is also a member in the National Storytelling Network in the United States. She is also a Toastmaster and in 2015 was voted as one of the top 10 speakers in the Arab world. In 2017, Sadiqa launched an NGO called K-U-N-E-N-S-A-N, Being Human. Oh, I love this. Khan Ansan, Being Human, which aims at peace building and bridging gaps between different political, social, and religious communities within Lebanon, mainly through storytelling. Sadiqa, I love how you have in your bio, it says how titles and labels fade away eventually 
disappear once a human heart is touched. And, you know, of course, reading your resume, first of all, is so intimidating for me because I can't read half the words. It's just like, okay, can I even talk to this woman? How is it that you say that you notice how titles and labels fade away and eventually disappear once a human heart is touched? Well, actually, uh, it is my experience, I guess, and the civil war that I, we, we have experienced in Lebanon and which has lasted for almost 30 years. I went through very rough times in experiencing in my childhood violence and terror, if you want. And the first experience was when my friend Jenna was brutally murdered with her family by a Christian party. And at the time, you know, when you are a child, you're influenced by the voices that surround you and by uh, the environment that you live in. So when this incident happened, it kind of, took me to a world I've never experienced before because the Lebanon I knew at the time was the Lebanon for Christians, Muslims, and Jews, and there was no difference between all these communities. We didn't even know who was who. I mean, we sat on those benches in school without knowing who was Christian or Muslim or Jew even. But when the civil war occurred, it was really terrible. And it took me to that dark place where it labeled everybody under a religious ticket, if you want. And uh, when Jenna was murdered, it took me like two years to get over what I've experienced. And those two years were full of hate, rage, and grudge against the people called Christians until the mm. day where my neighborhood was heavily bombar bombarded and my dad had no choice but to take us to a Christian neighborhood to uh, kind of to, to take refuge there. And he, the only friend he had there was his uh, priest friend, Uncle George, whom he met at the university and they studied together at the time. So we resorted to Uncle George's house. And on the same night when we arrived, something transformational, and I couldn't call it transformational, happened to me and my family. Uh, the door knocked, was knocked, heavily knocked, and Uncle George immediately knew that somebody came for us. So he was instantly by my side because my brother was very, very young at the time. He was only two and I was, uh, I was 12. So he, was, he approached me because I was the one with the awareness, if you want. And he came to me, he hugged me, and he whispered in my ear. And he said, Sadia, from now on, your name is going to be Mary, your brother's is going to be Joseph, your mother's and father, your father is Eli and your mother is Anna, and you are my uh, nephew and nieces. And he gave me that Bible and he told me, please hold on to that Bible and keep on reading in that Bible and praying because it will save you from whatever we're going to face. And he opened the door 
and 10 armed masked men were there and they asked him to hand in the Muslims he's hiding. But of course, Uncle Joe's was credible and they just believed his word and they believed that he was only hosting his brother and his family. And they left. Hmm. And this is where the turning point was and this is hmm. where the transformation happened. And I had all these questions bombarding, if you want, my tiny brain at the time who couldn't figure out what was happening. And I was like, a few, two years ago, a Christian killed my friend and now a Christian is saving my life and my family. Uncle George used to take me with him and I used to just watch watch him like feeding uh, the, the, the hungry and helping with the injured and helping with the dead, bury them. And he didn't even stop at the label. I mean, he didn't even question who that person was or where did he come from or what religion did he belong to? He was just there to serve them. He was the one who taught me to accept the other as is, as the package they are and never try to change them. Mm. So he was the one who taught me my prayers and how to perform my prayers. <laughs> so he was behind this transformation and he was the one who planted the seeds of just, stand on that global platform and look at others as human beings. And this is when the labels started dissolving and disappearing. This was the root, if you want. Mm. That is so amazing and so beautiful. I've heard this story so many times, but every time I hear it, something new pops out. And it's crazy because this podcast that I started, Sadiqa, is called the B series, BE series. And it was really came out of because so many of us, including myself, have become human doings and we forgot that we're human beings. Yeah. And so what do you need to be to get to what you want to have? And, and it's so crazy, but I want to go back to that black Saturday. It was December 6, 1975. I want to go back to that because that was the first transformational period for you at that moment. And uh, share with us exactly what happened in your mind that day. And I know it's hard to remember exactly. Um, you were what, probably 10 years old because it was a couple of years before yeah. you met George and and uh, and here you walk in to your best friend's home. I mean, your best friend that you did everything with. And uh, so share with me your thought process that was going through your mind. I went to a psychologist and I did what they call regression to just recall what happened on that day and, and kind of bring it to light because some behaviors I did and I reacted toward things and I couldn't explain. And I knew that it was due to that day because even my mother refused to tell me what happened because she said it's a blessing to keep it uh, stored in your subconscious. So that day was really horrific. It was a Saturday. And usually most Lebanese on Saturdays, especially Lebanese that come from different villages, they just go spend the weekend in their villages and come back again on Monday for, for, for the normal working days. I really 
uh, can't describe it. It was crazy because the streets were taken over by this Christian uh, party, which is known as the Phalangists in Lebanon. They just had barricades everywhere around the city's streets. And whoever passed by, they asked for their ID. And once your ID said that you were a Muslim, you were slaughtered on the spot without even having a chance to defend yourself or say anything. Unfortunately, Jana and her parents were one of the victims uh, on that day. And I remember in the evening, because during the day, all I thought about is that Jana was in her village with her parents and enjoying the weekend. But in the evening, I heard those screams, you know, those, um, how can I describe those screams? They were like, they weren't alarming. They were screams of desperation, screams of, of something unexpected that happened, you know, and I was, I was curious to know what was happening. And of course, my mother tried to stop me. She tried even to lock me in my bedroom. So I won't go outside and see what was happening. Mm. But, you know, a child, they always find their way out. And when the adults are busy, like crying and grieving and, and they were busy in their anger and in the rage and in the hatred also. They couldn't see me just snooping through and pushing my way through and going into Jana's bedroom. And once I was there and I saw her fully covered by uh, the sheet, the child's mind was like, oh, she's playing hide and seek. This is all I could think about. Uh, and especially that she's surrounded by this huge number of adults. She doesn't want to um, show up, kind of. And I guess this is what made me delete the whole day from my head and what happened on that day because, because, her, because her sight was so disturbing and she had this slit throat. It really looked like, and I describe it, it looked like a clown's smile who was mocking me and smiling back at me and telling me, this is your Lebanon. This is the Paris of the Middle East all people talked about. I mean, it, it's not for everybody, but you understand that there was a purpose for this. I know it's a horrific act, but the purpose behind this, and I, and I always say that God works in mysterious ways and he puts the pieces of the puzzle together. It was meant to be for me to experience this, I mean, extreme savage nature of the human being mm. to discover later on the extreme kind and loving side of a human being and how this loving kind side of a human being can just heal everything. It just can heal savagery. It heals monstrosity. It heals it heals everything. It's such a healing power, such a strong healing power. Wow. 
I, I just can't even imagine a 10 year old if I was thinking of, you know, I just have a new grandbaby. I know you have five grandchildren, uh, but new grandbaby just experiencing anything like that. And and you said something really powerful, Sadiqa, because I, I believe somebody's listening to this that um, has uh, put something, a uh, trauma um, to the side, you know, um, I know your mom met well of just, you know, let's not talk yeah. about it kind of situation. And, uh, and I can only imagine if that was my child, I wouldn't want to talk about it either because of the pain inside my heart of knowing that my, my innocent daughter saw something like that. And just so much, you know, hate, you don't want your kids to experience that. So when did you go to the psychologist? Because I believe someone listening to this right now uh, perhaps needs to go to a psychologist to uncover and to regress and go back to that trauma. Uh, talk about that a little bit more, Sadiq, and why you think that's important. What was uncovered for you in that moment? Because, because this trauma was so big that you, um, you didn't even cry that day, you said in the TED Talk, and that you, um, it put you to sleep for two years, you said. And, uh, and so and you just sat like in hate for two years. So 10 to 12, which is such a formative time in a child's life, right, through that trauma. Talk about that just a little bit more of why you think someone should experience going to a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a therapist. But I went to uh, the psychologist after I had my four children. Can you believe that? And I'm, I'm going to also tell you about one of the most horrific scenes I've seen when I was 15 years old volunteering in the International Red Cross in Lebanon before going to the psychologist part. One of the worst scenes I've ever experienced or moments I've ever experienced is when a Christian woman with her daughter were brought to the center where we were uh, kind of taking in the injured and trying to help as volunteers with the Red Cross. And this woman arrived to the center with her daughter and both of them, their gowns were dripping with blood. They were soaked to an extent that it was just dripping with blood especially the mother the mother had lost all her senses you couldn't make sense of what she was saying nor what if she she was trying to to say or describe you couldn't make any sense of it the daughter was the one who explained what happened and on that day apparently muslim druze came to their house and they invaded their houses and they were about to kill her two sons and husband mm. so the mother stood up to them and said please kill me before you kill my three gems mm. and the hatred and the violence was really extreme in that moment because they brought her husband and her two sons and they beheaded them in her lap. Mm. 
this was also another transformational moment for me and it was like what is happening and i really couldn't conceive what was happening all this violence all this hatred where did it come from so i had to find out what was still holding me back in some way before becoming this uh george complete george so wow okay you said something so powerful something else happened what was it that happened sadika what did you uncover like you peeled back your own layers uh through this psycho uh, psychotherapist um if you want to be the george of the future you have to dig deeper what did you find out what transformation happened within that period of going through this therapy okay so once i knew that it was jenna's story that was keeping me or holding me back and i discovered that i still had those question marks about other people about the other about the other we fear but i mean if you dig deeper you dive deeper into the people and you just went over this obstacle and made this communication you would discover that you were just the same just going the, through the same pain the same suffering therapy or the psychologist helped me go through that i mean it, it she helped me get over those obstacles and by the way she she was the one maybe who was the first to discover the storyteller in me and she was like sadia you can mm. do wonders with storytelling if you really invested in that and this is what started happening when i went to the people i went to help first of all i listened to their stories and since we shared the same pain maybe the experience is different maybe the situation mm. is is different the when and the place is different but the emotions and the feelings are just the same and when you bond when you touch that hard and you bond through those emotions really the labels and everything just vanishes away and you are standing on that platform as a naked human being like any other wow okay so you uncovered a lot of things here um you said you listen to people's stories and and the quote that you have that you got from uncle george which by the way is transformational in itself and i, I want to say it again and i'm going to make sure we put this in the in the show notes is when you hold god in your heart the human he creates reveals itself by serving others and then and only then your enemy becomes human we're going to unravel that piece by piece here in a moment but you said something really really profound is listening to people's stories and and we all have enemies we all have people in our lives that are just you know rubbing us the wrong way <laughs> if you will right. and uh you may be a business owner listening to this about one of your staff members or you may be a fellow student at university or in my i have four cosmetology schools as well there's so much that we can unpack here because not everybody has a george <laughs> in their life right and yes. uh but guess what Sadika can be your George. I can be your George. Are we perfect? No. And and I agree. Um you unlocked something so big. Uh I I believe that our greatest adversity leads to our greatest assignment. 
Have you um, experienced people in your life that have experienced what you have that because of your pain and your story that you've been able to unlock the George within them? Is, is there a specific story? Yes, um, I would like to share my, uh, my son's story. And I shared this in my TEDx as well. Uh, I mean, all of them, the four kids have their stories. He was, uh, he was doing his BA at Palamand University when I was doing my master's degree. And he graduated a year before I did. So when I went the next year to pay my fees, I had the cashier uh, asking me this question. And he said, how is Abdel Qadir Kamaruddin related to you? And I was like, uh, he's my son. And he, he said, I'm sure you don't know what he did when he was at the university. And I was, oh my God, definitely he did something bizarre. Because he <laughs> has those moments, you know, like any other uh, kid or any other young man, you know. Mm. But the cashier surprised me and he said, uh, I just want to share with you because this was so powerful, even for the university, for the admin, for everybody here. And uh, he told me, I'm sure you didn't know that Abdel Qadir worked at the university extra hours to raise money to pay the fees, the university fees for a Christian underprivileged student. And when the university realized what was happening, they gave him 50% discount. And I was just standing there with tears and I was just standing there and I said, Sadi, I said to myself, Sadi, are you, you really succeeded? Victory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. I get it. I get it. It's like, you know, I could die at this moment and I would die with a smile on exactly. my face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's nothing, nothing ever that makes you more joy than when your kids create joy in others. And I felt like I felt that moment just happened for you and your son. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so amazing. You know, I mentioned I'm a new grandma <laughs> telling everybody. <Yes. laughs> um, and, and, you know, you see a baby and and if you don't believe that you're born to love, look at a brand new baby. I mean, they're yeah. going to cry unless you're holding them, right? They're yeah. born for love. They're born to be held. Oh. That, that doesn't change because you become 5, 10, 15, 20, 80. And, and the woman that you met, the oldest human being in the world, we'll talk about her, yeah. 128 <laughs> years old. Um, that's a story in itself. I want to go back to that that moment with George because that was a turning point right he, he gave you this quote and it's become your life quote which by the way is yeah. just a story in itself but when you hold God in your heart let, let's let's go to the first part of that uh, quote that you have I want to say the quote one more time for everybody when you hold God in your heart the human he creates reveals itself by serving others and then and only then even your enemy becomes human. And let's, let's unlock that because the first time I heard it was in Costa Rica with you when you talked to the Walmart executives about it and uh, your story. I was just like, almost fell over in my chair listening to your story over and over. And I was like, I cannot believe a human being had to go through that. And your story has helped to transform my life. And I know it's going to unlock potential in people's lives right now listening to this but 
Um, you said when you hold God in your heart. And so what do you think prevents people from doing that? What do, what do you think uh, would have prevented you from doing that? Well, I guess, first of all, it's the ego. Okay. It's pride. Mm -hmm. And it's going after the power. In all means, you can get your hands on that power. Because in this part of the world, we, we, we know what corruption is. That, that's really powerful that you said that. And so someone might be listening right now that's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a good person. Uh, but, you know, I don't believe in God. I just, he, he's, not, he's not there for me. But, you know, I don't think I have ego or pride or I want other power. I know so many good people. They're so good, like such servants. But yet they deny Christ is the Lord, right? They deny him. But it's like, stop running. Let go of the ego, let go of the pride. Just stop it, stop it. Because obviously you have God in your heart. I mean, I can tell you, I've never experienced this type of hate that you have had. I can't even relate. I can't even begin to relate. But hearing your story, like, really helps to chop at my heart right now, Sadiqa, because I have some enemies in my life. I have people in my life. And right now, all I want to do is just run to them and give them a yeah. hug, you know, <laughs> because yes, exactly. they're, they're human. And, you know, yes. I just talked um, with another, um, I did another interview and we've been talking about um, forgiveness in your heart towards your parents in America and, and maybe in Lebanon too, but America, there's like this huge, like culture of hate towards parents um, because of they feel like they weren't the type of parents they should have been for them right and yeah. so it's like oh yeah no i you know grew up there's like this big thing of i grew up in a dysfunctional home well, well yeah we're human beings everybody's dysfunctional <laughs> and it's almost like this blame land that people live in to have excuses for for their behavior if you will right you know you know i came to learn that People behave and react according to what they know. This is what they know better. Definitely my parents are from a different generation than mine. And definitely they're going to react differently and behave differently right. and treat mm -hmm. me differently. You know? So when you start understanding that this is what they know, mm -hmm. this is what they've been raised uh, how they've been raised and this is their upbringing and this is their culture and this was their environment so this is where the understanding starts happening it's up to you how you face it and how you react to it and, and so i think some of us our enemies are our family members and, and we need to True. understand them as human beings and you know it exactly. took me of really digging into my dad's life. My dad never, he was like you, he regressed his life, um, didn't tell us the abuse that occurred ever. And then, um, and then later he just talks about it matter-of-factly, like that's just the way it was in our house, exactly. the abuse. And I was like, wow, that totally, totally makes me understand him so yeah. much more. And my mom as well, serving others. Why not serve our family? And I believe that leadership starts at home. Like let's start True. at home and serve our parents and let's honor and respect them as well. And so I want to, I want to talk about George as we start to wrap this up, but cause George, how do we find a George 
um, in our life. Like, cause George transformed your heart and, um, and just showed you that service was the answer. And, and then, um, the, the woman that you met, she's 128 years old. And I heard this story actually in Costa Rica and you just blew my mind the oldest living female on the planet. What was her, what's her name? I didn't catch her name. Her name is Maimuni. Maimuni. Okay. Yeah. So how do we get to be like George and find a Maimuni in our life to help transform us? Well, I, I came to believe that within each one of us, there's a George, but we mm. have to listen to him. And within each one of us, there's a Maimuni, but just, we just have to listen to them. And this is, this is why self-reflection and this is why listening to yourself before listening to others can, if you want, enhance that communication and interaction between each other. Because if I really listen to my feelings and I really listen to my God within my heart, mm. I can find and unveil the George. He is there. He's just there. And I guess Uncle George was just a medium. God had sent him to me, as you said, created in the image of God. So yeah, Mamuni said something so, so yes. awesome. He <laughs> said, um, uh, she said, if you want to lo live long like me, get off your ass and do something to serve others. <laughs> yes. You know, my word this year, by the way, this is ironic. Um, I always choose a word every single year. I, instead of setting new year's resolutions, I don't know if you do this or not. Uh, but yeah. my word this year is serve. Yeah. And God's just been, like showing me different ways that I uh -huh. could serve that, that I didn't see before. Talk about that. Like, um, like you, you know, you did a lot of service as a young person. Give some ideas to someone right now of how they can serve because, and why do you think service is so important? Well, I can st start with a very, very, very tiny service. And that is, that is smiling. There you go. Mm -hmm. If you just walk around with a smile on your face, you might change someone else's mood. Oh, that's just good. Just by smiling mm -hmm. without just saying anything. This is a huge service, by the way. And it is charity because those people that go out every day with this depressive mood or those negative thoughts or whatever they have on their on their mind or bearing on their shoulders, a smile is just contagious. Yeah, and so I, you know, I coach a lot of um, students and my staff, um, and, and they'll say, "I'm just not a smiler." <laughs> Talk to that person right now that says to you, "I'm not a smiler." <laughs> oh no, whatever. You know something? I'm I'm gonna share with you this uh, this experience, and in, in like twenty. 12, I guess, I flew to New York on my own. And I was, um, uh, by the way, I wore the scarf like 17 years ago. It's not that long. But it was my first time in the States after I wore the headscarf. And I had everybody, I was going there for a creative writing workshop. And uh, it was for pitching my academic book. And I was going alone and I, everybody around me, they were like, 
expect to be bullied, expect to be uh, thrown with hate words, expect to whatever, mm. because you're wearing the headscarves. And I was always telling them, I'm sure that I'm going to be well received in the States because I will be just wearing my smile on my face and I'm mm. sure I'm going to, I'm not going to face any trouble whatsoever. And it was be the best experience I've ever had. Uh, yeah, smile. I mean, you can get away with a lot with a smile. <laughs> oh, oh my God. And it's shocking to me the amount of people that I run into that say, well, I'm just not a smiler. Well, too bad. Put a, put a, put a coat hanger in your mouth because life's going to change for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and believe me, Tina, this, by the way, made me believe in the law of attraction. Yes. Agreed. Do you receive, um, by the way, discrimination with your scarf? I mean, I've always, when I saw you, I didn't see it at all because I have so many students of mine that wear them. Um, Michigan is a major Muslim community area here in the United States. And so seeing the scarf, do you receive um, uh, discrimination from people or looks and stares? What's that like for you? <laughs> By the way, I receive it in my own country. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. You said you don't have to wear it, but you choose to because you don't like to do your hair. You told me. I laughed. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I said, Give me a scarf. I need a scarf. It's normal. It's just human nature. Everything that is not familiar to you or your culture, sometimes this is the reaction you bring. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of, um, obviously I'm in the salon industry, as you know, and, um, and I notice a lot of people, um, get all freaked out over a lot of the people in the industry because they wear a lot of tattoos, a lot of piercing. And, uh, and I, that doesn't bother me at all. I've been in the industry for 20 years. So I've watched this evolve, right. And the yeah. tattoos coming and the piercings coming, and it's just part of the culture of the salon, the beauty industry, right. People just yeah. love to express themselves. It doesn't bother me at all, but I've seen them get discriminated by actually, it's not as bad as it used to be uh, by some of our guests that come into the school. Um, so talk to that person right now that, that just loves to express themselves through tattoos, piercings, whatever it may be that get made fun of. Talk to them right now of how to get through that process. Never, never, never um, put yourself at stake for anyone. Mm. I mean, whatever you believe in and whatever that makes you comfortable and whatever makes you express what you have inside, because expression comes in many ways. It could be through mm -hmm. a piercing, it could be through a tattoo, through paintings, through uh, public speaking, through storytelling, anything. So whatever helps you communicate what's in the inside. So don't get mad at them. No. That they're that way. Win them over with your smile, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. universal. A smile yes. is universal. I agree. I, I'm a, yes. Yeah. And so, Sadiqa, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Tell us what you're doing right now. Uh, what type of coaching you're doing? How can people get a hold of you? Um, what's your big uh, hairy? I like to say hairy audacious goal. I'm in the beauty industry, so what's your big hairy audacious goal in your life? What, what do you uh, see yourself doing in the next five, 10 years as well, too? Well, I see myself through my Kun uh, Insan, being human NGO, and 
doing this peace building not only with my Lebanese community, but mm. with my neighboring countries, with the world, if you want, in some, some way. It's a huge dream of bringing peace to, to the world. And I, it really tugs at my heart how misconceptions and uh, hold people back from getting to know others. Please get over those misconceptions. Please never, never, ever uh, have those perceptions without you experiencing. You just have to jump in and experience for yourself. You have to come to Lebanon and see how the people in Lebanon, the real people are. You have to come, you have to go to the States and experience also the people. You have to go everywhere and experience. I mean, last summer uh, at the NSN conference, the National Storytelling Conference, my roommate was an Israeli. And, and when we got together and, and we slept together in the same room for, for a week, it was, it was just mind-blowing how many mind things blowing. in common we had and mm. how many sufferings and pain that were just exactly the same we shared. And her misconceptions about the Arabs and my misconceptions about the Jews and Israelis. And you really can bond and be just, standing on that platform of human beings if you just drop those labels yeah drop the labels just drop yeah, them just, just drop yeah. the labels I love that that's why um I love and I'm sure you feel the same way being a part of the John Maxwell team because oh, how many it. countries are represented did they say like 160 countries represented and it's just yeah. like we're all one we're all one human being, right? And that's, that's so the first time I had experienced being in the room with that many different uh, countries of people. And yeah. now it just seems like second nature. In the beginning, I was just floored. Like, I was like, what is going on? But it <laughs> helped you to drop those labels. Any last words that you want to give us, Sadiqa? Thank you so much, by the way, for taking time out of your day. Oh, uh, the last words are just find the George. Just find, find him. The George. He's there. He yes. is there. He is instilled. Via George. I like it. So there you go. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.